Well, some of you have already looked at the title of the sermon, We Live Like God Owns Everything, and you have checked out on me because, oh, here comes a stewardship sermon. I'm not listening to this. Well, quite, quite the contrary. It is a stewardship sermon, but it has nothing to do with giving. It's all about what we keep. So, let's begin with a quick review of our mission statement from last week. We're in this series, you know, this is us. And we start with our mission statement, and uh, we're going to put it on the screen. I want you to say, because by the time we get to the end of this series, I want to be able to ask you, what's our mission statement? And you'll be able to say, this is what it is. What's our purpose? Our purpose statement, our mission statement. This is what it is. So, we're going to read it out loud together. You ready? People helping people grow generations of Christ-led influencers. One more time. People helping people grow generations of Christ-led influencers. And if you remember, we broke that down into three sides, forming a very stable geometric triangle. The first part is people helping people. It is who we are. Ordinary people helping ordinary people. We are just altogether ordinary people. Grow generations of is how we want to act, how we want to live. Focusing on growing every generation with a special emphasis on the youngest generation among us. Christ-led influencers. This is what we want to accomplish. Influencing our culture with the compassion and the character of Christ being led by him. Christ-led influencers. Now, those three sides of the mission statement give stability to it. You take any one of those sides off and we cease to be who we want to be. And along with that, we have these values that we're going to explore. And, and the values, actually, the values help describe or modify that third arm of, uh, of this triangle. Uh, it helps us by guiding us to becoming Christ-led influencers. Or to put it another way, they steer us, these values, steer us toward what we want to accomplish so over the next five weeks, we're going to explore these five values and discover the importance of the overall mission that God has entrusted to us. So here's the first one. We live like God owns everything. Will you say that one with me? We live like God owns everything. Now, while the values are not in any particular order of importance, I'm content that the first one is the, is the most important one. Until we understand this principle of God owning everything. The other values, I think, will be really difficult to put into practice. So this one is pretty foundational in our value system. And notice, there's an action word. There's an action word. We didn't just say God owns everything. So big deal. That didn't call for me to do anything. The value says we live like God owns everything because he does. So now, if we really embrace this value, I'm going to take a look at the way I live in relationship to that value. Because I'm convinced, folks, that our lives, individually, our congregation, our society, our, our, our nation, even the world as a whole would be a far better place to live, would be so much better off if everyone understood this single truth. Everything we know, everything we see, everything we hold belongs to God. It's so simply stated you know, it's easy to say, but it is so profound in the implications. It affects how we daily interact with the Lord himself. This changes how I interact with God. So let's take an overview, and that's all it's going to be this morning. You, know, you, you can dig into this really, really deep, but we don't have time for that. So it's going to be an overview of what it means to say God owns everything. 
Now, I'm gonna, we're going to take a look at two things. And the first one is simply the principle of ownership. It, that's one thing to say. How do we know that God owns everything? What's the basis for even saying that? Okay? So, the principle of ownership. And the prophet Jeremiah, in one statement, captures for us the whole background, the whole basis, the whole principle of God's ownership. And it reads like this. Jeremiah 32, verse 17 says, Ah, sovereign Lord! You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show love to thousands. And we're going to break that down here in just a, a, a few minutes. And you'll see that that captures every aspect of God's ownership. And the first aspect is simply this. The Lord owns everything by right of position. Consequently, I'm cared for. So God's in a position of ownership. What is that position? Did you notice how Jeremiah started? Ah, sovereign Lord. Kingdoms, empires, nations rise and fall, but our God reigns forever. In my lifetime, I have witnessed the dissolution of the Soviet Union as well as the reunification of Germany. I have to relearn geography on a regular basis. There is no Czechoslovakia or Yugoslavia anymore, no Rhodesia or Zanzibar anymore, and, and the list keeps changing on a somewhat regular basis. Only one kingdom lasts forever. Revelation eleven fifteen says, And he shall reign forever and ever. You see, the fate of empires and nations is not ultimately determined by the military, by the financial, or the political powers that be, but rather by the divine power of God at work in his creation. God is sovereign. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 4 and following says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now listen. One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. That is a powerful way of reminding us that God is sovereign, that he rules, that he is over all, that he is through all, that he is in all things. So you say, yeah, okay. But what does sovereign or sovereignty mean? Dr. Jack Cottrell writes this. He said, God's sovereignty necessarily means his complete freedom and authority or right to act any way he so wills. In other words, God rules over everything. He has no peers. There is no one that's his equal. No one that is higher in authority. Simply put, God has the final word. Roger Olson writes this. God is sovereign over his sovereignty. Now that sounds like double talk, doesn't it? But it's not. God isn't bound by our rules. He can be as sovereign as he wishes to be, and that makes him sovereign over all. You understand what I'm saying? There is just nobody that, 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 that tops what God has. He has the final say. And as the sovereign king of his kingdom, there is this implied relationship. Now, you've got to think beyond our world's kingdoms, because here's the problem with human kingdoms. You get a monarch that may have the best of intentions, but as time goes by, greed sets in or paranoia sets in. And the king, who is supposed to take care of the subjects, fails to do so. Not every kingdom that has existed, very, as a matter of fact, 
I don't know of any kingdom that's ever existed in this world that has been totally just and fair and perfect in all of its dealings. We are a nation because we did what? We rebelled against the king. We didn't want to be ruled by a king. And so here we've been a nation for these last several years away from that kingdom concept. But here's what you need to know about a kingdom concept. In a true, genuine kingdom, everybody serves the king, and the king provides for everybody. Got the picture? But there's only one king that can do that perfectly. It is God. You serve him in his kingdom, and God promises he will take care of you. He is sovereign, fair, and just. But he finds his greatest joy in caring for those who are in his kingdom. Matthew 6, says, But seek first his what? Kingdom and his righteousness. Now listen to the promise. And all these things will be given to you. God, God is saying, you, you, you be a part of this kingdom. You make my kingdom your kingdom. I'm going to take care of you. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to, you know, be wealthy and healthy and all this kind of stuff. But he's going to provide for you. He's going to take care of you. You are his own. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. I'm glad God is our king because in this kingdom, the king takes care of his people. You see, he owns everything by right of position. He is the king of kings, lord of lords. He has no peers. He's got the final say. Okay, here's something else. The Lord owns everything by right of purchase. Consequently, I have been saved. He, he owns everything by right of purchase. Did you, did you notice what Jeremiah said? He said, ah, sovereign Lord, you show love to thousands. John 15, 13 reads like this. Greater love has no one than this that a Man laid down his life for his friends. Now, Jesus said that less than 24 hours before he would do that. He could say that because he knew what he was going to do. The Lord paid the price of my sin. What I could not pay. What you cannot pay. I couldn't pay off my own debt. I had, I had no other way to cover my sin. He died in my place paying my debt. Now, when you pay off something, you own it. I am his by right of purchase. He has purchased me. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We've been bought with a price. We do not belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to God. That's a good thing. That, that's an exciting thing. I don't know about you, but that's an awesome thought. That's a liberating thought to me. Whew. The responsibility is off my shoulders. Let me explain. We have titles for the vehicles that we have purchased. Guess who's responsible for their upkeep? I am. No one else is going to put gas in the tank, rotate the tires, change the oil, or clean out the dirt. I could ask my next door neighbor to do that for me, but I'm pretty sure I know the look I'd get if I ask him. You see, the cars belong to me, so I am responsible for their care. Ownership. Ownership denotes oversight and care. If I belong to God, guess who's going to take care of me? Get in the picture? 
What happens when you bring your firstborn son home from the hospital two weeks after his birth? Do you point him to his room, tell him that breakfast is at 7.30 a.m., take him out in the garage, show him the new tricycle that you bought for him, and then give him the map for the paper route that he has to start the next day? And you tell him, you gotta, you know, you gotta pay your way. You know, this is, no, of course not. A baby is so dependent, you take care of that baby. Now, you don't own that child, but you do own the responsibility for that child. See what I'm saying? The responsibility, when you, when you, own something, the responsibility falls to you. Current estimate of raising a child from birth to 18 right now is just shy of a quarter million dollars on the average. And yet, who among us wouldn't willingly embrace that child and do everything we could to take care of him or her? You see, you can't find other people who will do that. that it's, it's not anybody else's responsibility. It's your kid! You take care of him. You feed him. You clothe him. You send him to school. Hey, folks, we are God's children. Guess who's going to take care of us? We are his by right of purchase. If we are not our own, God's got our back. You're in good hands with the Lord. How do I know that? Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Jesus Christ. Not some of your needs. Not the needs that he chooses. He is able to meet all of our needs according to his riches in Christ. Okay, here's the third part of that phrase from uh, Jeremiah's passage. The Lord owns everything by right of creation. This to me is the biggest thing. Consequently, I need not worry. Let's let's look at Jeremiah's statement again. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You have shown love to thousands. Here's the three. He is the king, therefore he owns everything. He has purchased everything, therefore he owns everything. But before all that, he created everything. He owns us by right of creation. You know what a patent is? A patent says you created something That right belongs to you. God owns everything by right of creation. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the glue. Now, you cannot read the scriptures and miss the point that God is honored and glorified from beginning to end as the creator of everything that we know. Now, you know, if you've been here any length of time, you know that I'm just absolutely fascinated by by nature and science and and all the things that we learn about God's creation throughout the world. Uh, It's been a little bit of time, but we had a, um, a, a large owl. Uh, wing its way through the little woods that's behind our house during the daytime. Now, that's really a rare sight. You don't usually see an owl flying during the daytime because they are night feeders, all right? God so equipped them to be night feeders. But this owl was huge flying through. Don't know where it was from or where it was going, but it was a majestic sight. Do you know what we know about owls? It's It's just absolutely fascinating. 
It silently wings its way through the air with velvety surface feathers and comb-like serrations on both the leading edge and the trailing edge of the wing. Think of a, think of a comb with all the teeth in the comb, and, and, and you'll get this image of what is on the feathers on the leading edge and the trailing edge of an owl's wings. And on the very tips of those teeth, comb-like teeth, are, are barbs, points of various sizes and dimensions that quiets the air as it flows over the wings. You know, anything that soars, you can, you know, if you're close by, you can hear the, the sound of the wind rushing over the wings, not with an owl. God so equipped the owl to silently glide through the night. They are the original stealth fighters, seizing their prey without any warming. Now, that solves the problem of the prey not hearing, but, but it also helps solve the problem of the owl being able to hear too. You see, the silent flight characteristics enable the owl to hear better. But that's not all. That's not all it, that helps the owl hear better. The stiff white feathers of the barn owl's heart-shaped face cause the sound to generate backward toward the ears. And it works. A barn owl, a barn owl can hear a mouse scurrying through on the ground 75 feet away. It gets better. Now, I'm going to draw an assumption here, and that is, I think most of us here like our ears symmetrical on, on the sides of our head. Do we all agree with that? I mean, may, maybe you'd like one to be higher and one to be lower. I don't know. But I think most of us kind of like the look of the symmetrical ear. But the barn owl doesn't have symmetrical ears. On the, one, on the left side, the, the left ear sits higher than the right ear. The left ear is turned, tilted up. The right ear is tilted lower, which means that the sound comes in in such a way that the barn owl can actually detect the height of the prey that it is after. This unique arrangement gives the barn owl such accurate hearing that he can not only hear something moving 75 feet away, he knows at what level it is. It, I mean, just this incredible. And you say, well, what's the big deal about an owl's wings? Got a computer fan? Do you know what we've learned is that we can make computer fans a lot quieter if we follow the design of the owl's wings. Is God not awesome in his creative design? The psalmist writes in Psalm 63, because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, your strong right hand holds me securely. If God can take care of the owl, don't you think he can take care of you, the crown of his creation? Don't worry. He's got your back. Kevlar is the strongest man-made fiber. And yet spider silk is stronger and more flexible. You, did you realize the main support for a spider web is 100 times stronger than a piece of steel, a cable of steel of the same size? And if you could make a, ready for this, if you could make a spider strand just a little bit larger than the diameter of a garden hose, it would be strong enough to hold two Boeing 737s. Spider silk owns, it owes its amazing strength and elasticity to its intricacy. It's chemical intricacy. It, it's really hard. <laughs> Spider. Spider silk has no simple structure. Its complexity makes man-made synthetic fibers seem crude in comparison. 
It can stretch 40% of its length. And while the flagelliform silk in the spiral webs is stretchable, it can stretch 200%. So if you've got a bug that flies into the, it will stretch 200%. Now, now get this. The manufacture of Kevlar requires harsh conditions, including the boiling of sulfuric acid, which leaves behind a residue of dangerous chemicals that are expensive to dispose of and are not good for our environment. But spiders, spiders need only ordinary temperatures, and they use a much milder acid bath, which is produced in special ducts on the spider's abdomen. All these harsh chemicals are kept inside the spider but delivered at just the right moment. And get this, spider silk is recyclable. For one, spiders eat their own webs when they no longer need them. And even, even more fascinating to me, hummingbirds reuse spider's webs to build their tiny nest. Have you ever seen a, a hummingbird's nest? We saw one one time. It's just the tiniest little thing. Had two eggs in it. The size of a garden pea. Just a real shallow thing. Here's the deal. When the hummingbird steals the web, it weaves it into its nest. And as those tiny hummingbirds are born and begin to grow, the nest expands and stretches because of the spider web. How awesome is God's design if God can provide for baby hummingbirds by reusing a spider's web? What do you got to worry about? What is all consuming in your life that God can't handle? He is the creator of everything. Therefore, he owns everything. And I don't have a worry in the world if he's got my back. How about you? Matthew 6, 34, which is the next verse after that, seek first his kingdom. Matthew says this, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. This is in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings. And round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. The birds, their carols raise. The morning light on the lily white declare their maker's praise. Well, that's the principle of ownership. Now, real quickly, let's take a look at the other side of this, the principle of stewardship. And here's a couple of things I want you to say. The first is this. The Lord has shared everything. I'm responsible to use it wisely. <laughs> and you say, well, now, wait a minute. I have a deed to my land, a mortgage on my house, a title to my car. If that doesn't indicate ownership, I don't know what does. I purchase these things with my hard-earned cash. I know that. This is the way we live. This is the way the system works when we're in this world but how long will you own that car, that land, that house? When I was a kid, my grandparents down in Spencer County had a neighbor just down the road. Mr. Chris Brockman was his name. And so this, this is in the mid to late 60s, okay? Chris Brockman was still driving his Model T Ford, not Model A, Model T Ford that he bought somewhere in the early 1920s. Bought it brand new, been driving drove that car. The car outlasted Mr. Brockman. The only car, as far as I know, the only car Mr. Brockman ever owned. I have no idea who owns it now, if anyone. But here's the point. He had a title, but he only owned it for a few years. The car outlived him. Got a deed to your land? All right, this afternoon, if the rain stops and uh, you can put on some boots to walk out into your soggy yards... Go take a walk. Let me ask you, 
Do you own the flower? That dandelion that's popping up through the grass or the daffodil that's blooming or the crocus that probably isn't even blooming anymore? Do you own the tree that was there before you were born and will be there long after you have died? Who will own it next? And how about the squirrel scampering up the tree with an acorn clenched in its jaws? Do you own him or the acorn? Psalm 50 says this, For all the animals of the forest are mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and everything in it. The only piece of land you'll need for any length of time is about six feet under. And that's it. This is not about ownership. This is about stewardship. And stewardship isn't about what we give. It's about what we do, how we keep, what we have, how we use what God has shared with us. When God told Adam in the Garden of Eden, Adam, you have dominion over all of creation. It wasn't you have rulership over all creation. He, it, the word means you are the caretaker of all that I have entrusted to you. Now, if we really believe that, maybe we'd start asking some questions. You know, what kind of a house does God want me to live in? What does God want me to do with my life? How does he want me to work? What, does God want me to drive a new car, used car? How does God want me to treat his creation? How does God want me to act toward my neighbor? How does God want me to live my life? Do you understand what I'm saying? That if we ask these kinds of questions, it, it may shape and change how we live. Because you see, it, it, it really all belongs to him. But he has shared everything with us. Which brings us to this last thought. Because he shared everything with us, I am thankful that he has trusted me enough to be a steward. I can get so easily caught up in the fear and anxiety of this world. Given the fact that you can turn on the television at any time and get 24-hour news, breaking news flashes. The sky is falling stories on the internet are, are, are prolific. But I learned a long time ago that I cannot look to the media for hope. I cannot put my trust in government to, for peace and, and my daily provisions. I cannot live my life in fear over what may happen as evil so often seems to triumph in this world. I can't do that. But I can find my hope, my peace, and my joy in the God who owns everything. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. So do not lose heart. When it's darkest, the light shines brightest. Put him first. And he will provide. God has put his trust in us and wants us to enjoy the gift of his creation and the abundant life that he has made available to us. So relax. Enjoy. Take some time to listen to God's birds sing. Step out on a starry night and see God's heavenly display. Look into the face of your child or your grandchild and see God's gift of a lifetime. And celebrate the fact that even though he owns it all, he has shared it all. And we have access to everything. He trusts us. What an awesome God. If that didn't put a smile on your face, I don't know what will. This is my Father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Just look around you.
God is trying to get your attention. It's mine, but now it's yours. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him, for he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. And yet, we get to enjoy every little bit. Let's read this value one more time. We live like God owns everything. Let's try that again. We live like God owns everything. You may not believe that yet, but I hope you will. I hope you'll come to that conclusion because it'll lift the burden from your shoulders. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv. 